Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 108. Are you the Keymaster? Recorded October 1st, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. You know, I almost uh, decided to put in a Ghostbuster sound effect for that title, <laughs> uh, but I decided not to. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the. Um, <laughs> the myths and the legends and the miscommunications behind Microsoft's uh, volume licensing. Uh, so I think that'll be an interesting discussion. And here with me to have said interesting discussion is Mr. Sean Kybel. Hi, Sean. How's it going? It is going great. And as far as Mondays go, not so bad. Yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Now, last Monday, yeah, complete, total disaster followed up by tuesday my car broke down nice yeah so you know monday was just you know everybody has them right every now and then you just have that monday it's just a total you just like from five minutes after you show up at work you wish the day was already over and it doesn't get any better from there so that was monday and then yeah tuesday uh car breaks down and uh it was uh my radiator and uh, you know, I, I know some, I uh, probably more than just your basic automotive maintenance. And, uh, so I, I popped the hood. I knew I was leaking fluid. I stopped the car immediately. I know, you know, you don't want to run it like that, obviously. And, uh, I, I figure out that it kind of looked like where the top radiator hose was. So it's right there at the top of the engine front of the car, kind of easy to get at. I'm like, okay, the radiator hose popped off. So I'll just, you know grab my handy dandy Leatherman and, you know, put it back on there. Well, uh, uh, the car I drive has a, uh, the radiator itself is aluminum, but like those fittings are plastic. And basically what had happened is uh, that kind of nozzle that the hose fits on just got dry and brittle is the best way I can say it. It just broke. Uh, so there was no putting the hose back on the car. Uh, you know, I had to have it towed and, um, then I, uh, well, I guess I have to, you know, uh, say I, ha I drive a BMW and, uh, so yeah. And before you get, uh, carried away out there, it's a broke beaten down BMW. Oh, oh don't go, don't go that far. My car is a knife. Hey, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's old. It's several years old. Yeah, it's not. It's not a brand new fifty thousand dollar BMW or anything. Yeah, it's better than the Lexus you used to drive. Yes, <laughs> he used to have the crappiest Lexus on the planet. It was a Lexus. It still had the little logo on it, but that's all the luxury it had left in it. <laughs> well, my BMW is quite a bit nicer. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, that that was that's a story in and of itself because uh, it was the perfect buy. You know, I. I got it listed uh, right about the same as everything else on the market, it, it, you know, in that model and uh, and everything. But it was it was the proverbial owned by two, you know, this old married couple that didn't have any kids and took absolute beautiful care of it and had all the uh, service records. So I scored a good deal on it. I guess that would be Tightwad approved, right? Yeah, there you go. So speaking of tight approved, or maybe I should start with not so tight waterproof. So I check, do some checking into what it's going to cost me to repair this. And that is the drawback of owning one of these, uh, you know, older high-end vehicles is the repairs can be outrageous. And uh, yeah, I was quoted $700 to uh, fix this radiator. 
So, so I immediately, uh, after getting off the phone, I pop online and uh, find a radiator online, find the radiator I need for $95. So uh, uh, I go ahead and order it and uh, had to drive my parents' truck around for a few days, but it comes in, and uh, I, this weekend, uh, swapped out the radiator on my uh, 1998 BMW 328, and it, it works. So there's a Tightwad-approved uh, repair for you. Yeah, see, I was thinking a, a tube of JB Weld would take care of that problem, but uh, you would. No, not this particular problem. That whole fitting would like disintegrated, so there was no way to attach the hose to the radiator. It wasn't you know, like I'm going to sound like an old fart, but I miss the days when cars were made out of metal. Yes, I agree. Oh, and I'm sure, you know, the, uh, there's executives, right, that they, they, they make these changes to save a penny here and there, but then they, they'll tout it like, well, it makes the car lighter. Right. <laughs> more responsive <laughs> and all this stuff so well you know on the plus side it has lasted almost 20 years so it's you know well right right and and the new radiator had it, it, the outer portion of it was plastic but inside of that nozzle was metal they, they so they like, fixed it right they basically they were very aware of that problem and uh, fixed it so i was i was pretty happy with my uh, my tightwad approved uh, auto repair <laughs> so uh, okay, so now I've got to go. Uh, Mark, I just found this out today, and it's it just, uh, I don't know, frustrates me to no end. So uh, if you don't know out there, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. I probably did, I guess, when I first got the phone. But I have a, a uh, Android, um, a Motorola Atrix, and I got this in, I guess it was 2011 sometime. Does that sound right, Mark? Uh, I don't, not sure it's even that old, but yeah, uh, late 2011 yeah. summer, late 2000. Yeah. Because it was, uh, it was right around the time I was, uh, uh, leaving to go to the other job and, um, all of that. So, uh, so I got this Atrix. Yeah. It's, it's maybe, yeah, a year and a half old, something like that. So, ancient, ancient. It's a relic. Right. Well, you know, when I bought the phone, uh, it was on what I think Android was on gingerbread. I think that was the one couple back and, but it wasn't very long or just a few months after I got the phone, that ice cream sandwich came out. And, uh, so I'm all excited, you know, and Mark, I think you had a phone with ice cream sandwich on it and, um, ice cream sandwich quickly became like the build to have and all this kind of stuff. Well, I never got an ice cream sandwich. Well, uh, they Motorola Mobility made a an announcement. I guess I think the announcement was actually today. That's basically saying uh, three of their phones are not getting uh, not only Jelly Bean, but they're not getting Ice Cream Sandwich, and uh, the Motorola Atrix is one of them. So my phone is pretty much stuck where it's at. Which you know I'm not totally you know blown. You know I'm not totally like disappointed. It works fine. I'm I'm happy with it, but. Uh, it just kind of brings up that point of, or, you know, a problem with Android is, is that you, the support for the devices is horrible. Um, yeah, I've I, got an HTC vivid that's even newer than yours. And I, I will be surprised if I get an update. It's not, uh, it's not HTC. It's not, uh, um, uh, Motorola. It's the carriers for the most part. Right, right. 
And it, it's just it's just frustrating. I don't know. Is there? I mean, if you jailbreak those phones or root them, are you able to apply those updates then? Is oh yeah, it, you can it, you can go out and get a Jelly Bean based ROM, uh, and you're, you're good to go. And and those will even you know grab updates from from their respective repositories, and and that'll be fine. But uh, I I don't anticipate it ever coming from AT and T. Right. Right. And I'm okay with that. I, I'm not one of those. Uh, upgrade my phone kind of person. I bought an appliance, uh, and it's and I fully expect it to be that appliance for as long as I have the device. You know, if I get an upgrade, that's a bonus. But as iPhone people can tell you, bonus uh, upgrade to the OS on uh, on existing hardware is not always a good thing. In fact, it's often not a good thing. You know, ask anybody who tried to put iOS five on their Android uh, iPhone three. Uh, you know, they they wish they hadn't. Right. And you can't go back. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, uh, like, like you're saying, the hardware really maybe can't support all of that functionality. You end up getting a, a, a not as good experience. Yeah. I just I just think uh, there are a lot of ways in which phones are not computers. I mean, they are computers, but there are a lot of ways where they're not. And this is this is one of those deals that you make. You know, you buy a phone, you're going to keep it for however long you're going to keep it, and it's going to be that phone. Uh, you know, uh, if you want to go out and upgrade it yourself through ROMing and, and whatever, great. But don't expect the phone companies to do it. Could you imagine um, if you're AT&T and you had to roll out an update for every phone that you support, for every, every phone that anybody on your network might have? That's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> I guess that's a double-edged sword. Because you kind of do get in that, you know, I mean, you that's the game that Microsoft plays, right? I mean, there's yeah. so many computer manufacturers out there, and yet they are supporting all of that stuff. You know, they're coming out with all these patches and everything constantly. And, uh, of course, there's plenty of argument to say that that doesn't really work very well. But, <laughs> but you see, they're not, they're not, Microsoft, that's not a fair comparison because Microsoft isn't updating um you know, device drivers for new network cards. That's up to the hardware manufacturers. You right. know? And so, so uh, Motorola could do that or HTC could do that. Uh, but the fact is there's no money in it. They've already made all the money they're ever going to make off of you. Why would they upgrade your phone? Right. Right. I'm just, it's just plain old capitalism. People deal with it. It is. You're right. And I guess if anything, I mean, this is the way that Android users you know, we don't we don't wait for some company to just say, "Oh, we have a new phone. Go stand in line and buy it." Uh, <laughs> no, we bitch and moan about it, people. That's what we do. That's right. That's right. And uh, wait for our phone to become uh, s- sort of obsolete and go get a new one. All right. You, you know, you know, that's a, uh, a, a pet peeve of mine to use the word obsolete. Uh, we we throw that word around in tech. Far, yes. far too often. Your phone still does today all it did when you bought it. It's not yeah. obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's where I'm at with you. Is, and quite honestly, I've been very happy with the Atrix. Never given me a problem. And still today, like you said, Mark, uh, it's every bit as functional as it was the first day I got it. I mean, even more so because I've you know added to it over time. So Now, a rotary phone, that's obsolete. It no longer works on the modern systems. <laughs> but that's how far back you have to go to get to an obsolete phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Mark's uh, Mark's still walking around with a uh, a, a clamshell. <laughs> no, I have the brick. 
I, I found it when I moved. The old, yeah, with the extended battery that uh, uh, the, the battery was roughly the same size as the phone, uh, and it would give me up to four hours of standby time. It was awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. And my wife it. has the old bag phone, the phone in a bag that you put over your shoulder. Yeah. Nice, nice. We're, we're going to start an old phone museum here. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's move on to this next item. I thought this was interesting. This came out in the news today. That uh, it's October first, uh, the day we're recording, and uh, I called it "Go Go Google." Uh, Google today overtook Microsoft for market capitalization, so it is now the second most valuable tech company. All right, I'm not a financial guy. What does that even mean? Is that mean? Is that how much cash they have on hand? No, it's basically it, it's a pretty fairly simple uh, calculation. You take the stock price times the number of outstanding shares. So it's it's the overall stock value of the company is probably the best way to put it. Uh, so yeah, they they surpassed Microsoft today. They've been uh, going through uh, here recently over the last well since June, I think their stock's been on quite like a thirty percent uptick. And uh, uh, they finally overtook Microsoft. So they had a slight uptick today, and Microsoft had a slight downtick today, and uh, they switched well, positions. So Microsoft stack is, stock has been stagnant for like my lifetime, essentially. Right. <laughs> uh, they right. they've been a hold for a long, long time. No reason to buy it. No reason to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I just, I thought that was interesting, you know, major shakeup. I mean, you've got your big three up there, Apple, Google, and Microsoft. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's some moving going around there. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, just, I just want to insert that you mentioned it's o- October 1st. And so in the U S it's breast cancer awareness month. It's also the month where large, uh, uh, burly athletic football players drape themselves in pink. Uh, allegedly to raise awareness. I'm not really sure how that works, uh, but it does. Uh, I would think um, half a billion people walking around the planet with boobs is a pretty good way to raise awareness. Uh, so uh, here at Element OP Productions, we like boobs. If you've got a pair, take care of them. If you love somebody who has a pair, encourage them to take care of them. So that's our public service announcement. You're not going to paint your headphones pink or anything, Mark? Uh, no, I'm too cheap because then they'd always be pink because I ha- I couldn't just go out and buy new headphones. <laughs> See that that that's the the tightwad in me looks at that and thinks, look at all those shoes that they're only going to wear for one or two games and then throw them away. What a waste! Yeah, oh, they're not throwing them away. Those things are ending up on some rich yeah on eBay or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Mark, this this next item I have, uh, I, I'm wondering if we're going to have a, a, a good discussion about this. I listed it as First Amendment on the internet, but uh, basically, and this happened a couple weeks ago, but I'm ju- I'm just now was or I was just seeing it uh, this week. Google had well, YouTube. There was basically just some guy, you know, some uh, individual guy had posted an anti-Islamic video on YouTube. And I guess it ended up, uh, you know, causing an uproar and uh, Islamic countries were actually contacting the U.S. and or, or contacting Google, trying to get Google to take it down. And then the White House actually uh, contacted Google and kind of strongly urged that they take it down. 
And uh, so now there's a little bit of an uproar about that, about the White House actually doing that. So, you know, they're talking about, um, uh, you know, the, basically the First Amendment, this, this gentleman's First Amendment rights to what he posted on Google. And uh, while I didn't see anything quoted by a lawyer, all the articles I saw basically very plainly said that this was certainly covered by the First Amendment or was protected by the First Amendment. Uh, so that just really got me thinking. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's really hard to argue something like the First Amendment, uh, you know. Although sometimes we see it stretched too far, but uh, it, you know, it also got me thinking about just the the global nature of the internet. And just because it's our First Amendment, does that mean that we can trample the beliefs of everybody else out there in the world? All right, this is where my uh hardcore fundamentalism kicks in uh the the first first amendment of the united states of america for those of you who are not american citizens uh says uh among other things that you have a right to speak uh it says that uh, congress shall uh pass no law uh infringing the the right to free speech um last i checked google was not congress um and youtube is not speech I don't care what judges have said. You have a right to say what you want to say. You don't have a right to be heard. And we have we have we have twisted that in our country to where the First Amendment is uh, somehow implies a right to be heard. No, the guy made the video. That's his right. The video being on YouTube, nobody has a right to that. So if YouTube wants to bring it down, they're welcome to. If they don't want to, that's fine. It's nobody's business in terms of government either way. Okay, so either way, because that's what everybody's getting after is the White House obviously being, uh, you know, part of our government, uh, trying to, you know, uh, sort of strong arm, but not really, you know, uh, uh, with, you know, trying to put the pressure on Google to do this, that somehow they're, they're trying to tie those two together and say, well, now they're, uh, you know, trampling on this guy's personal freedom yeah we drape all kinds of garbage under the the banner of free speech uh but the fact is nobody stopped the guy from saying anything therefore his freedom of speech cannot have been impeded he made the video he said what he wanted to say there there is no right to distribution there is no like i said there's no right to be heard i don't have a right to be heard i do have a right to speak there's a big difference between the two and we need to stop uh, treating everybody as if they have a right to be heard. I, I like it, Rush. Uh, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you had to throw some like idiots and stuff like that in there. <laughs> well, you know, I am a strict, uh, what, what they call a strict constructionist. Uh, I, I believe that the Constitution was written uh, in, a, in a direct and precise language, and it means what it means. I'm not one of those proponents of the living, breathing document that must be interpreted uh, in the era in which we now live. No, no. A lot of really smart guys spent a lot of time crafting something that said exactly what they wanted it to say. Read it. That's what it says. Don't interpret it. Don't add meaning to just read it. Whatever the words say when you put them in order, that's what they meant. I I agree with you there, Mark. I mean, obviously, that's the reason we venerate our founding fathers so much, right? Because they were geniuses, right? They 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 crafted this document, and uh, you know, if you put it in the in the time frame of when they did it, they were very well informed about having personal freedoms trampled upon. So 
logic would tell you that they would word that document very specifically. And that's exactly what they did. So I, I agree with you. Now, equal uh, parts of our audience right now are saying, all right, fine, we get it, move on. And I never really cared, move on. Either way, they're all saying move on. So <laughs> let's move on with something that we all can agree with, and that's that Apple sucks. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just uh, keep seeing new things, you know, ever since uh, the new iPhone and the iOS 6 came out. And uh, so this is just yet another one that I've seen pop up in the last week is that uh, uh, now Apple has it. So we, we will say that. But this is on Verizon iPhones that uh, basically when iPhone 5 users were using their iPhone on Wi-Fi, it was charging them for data minutes on their data plan. So they were very quickly burning through their data minutes. Uh, I'm sorry. I just thought that was hilarious. And I, and I would be burning. I, yeah, I, I'd last like a day and a half at that rate. <laughs> Well, I had to do that uh, several months ago when I had moved and I didn't have internet uh, turned on yet. And I had to wait like three weeks. I think I whined about that in a show back then. And uh, so I'm like, all right, fine. So I'll tether to my phone and do that. And yeah, I lasted two days and hit my limit. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was an expensive month. But uh, yeah, and they're saying uh, the problem might exist on other carriers. So <laughs> I'm waiting to see this. This story again just came out today, so I'm waiting to see if uh, if the other carriers fall in line and have that same problem. Uh, but we well, see uh, that I blame that on the carrier, not so much on Apple. Now I get that that's a software glitch on the iPhone, but the carrier should be measuring at your point of presence. They know what IP address you have at any one time. They know what packets they send to you. They shouldn't be asking the phone how much data you, you've, you've used. <laughs> yeah, that does seem like a breakdown in the system either way, right? Because uh, that also seems, you know, if you're getting that data from the phone, then that seems like it's something that's probably hackable, right? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I could uh, reset that thing every day if I found the right way to do it. Right. So, uh, yeah, I just had to hop in here and uh, one more opportunity to bash Apple. So I was going to jump on and, uh, and do that. So there you go. Um, interesting thing I ran into uh, with my old iPad 1 that uh, is uh, such a, 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 an obsolete piece of equipment now. Um, when I uh, moved here to Georgia, I got uh, uh, a cable uh, router. At, at home, I had uh, cable, but I used my own uh, firewall and uh, wireless, and here I decided to go ahead and use their gear. Uh, it was uh, you know an 802.11n, uh, much faster than the the B that I had, and I just didn't feel like going to buying anything else. And I found out that my iPad, the original iPads, and in fact, as I've done some research, I found that it's not just it's all the way up through and including the recent iOS six upgrades uh, can't handle uh, uh, WPK one slash two encryption. Uh, you have to back it down. You have to dial it down a notch to the older encryption uh, because the when it switches, it the, what would happen is the iPad would get connection and it would work until the router said, okay, we're good now. Let's switch on the high encryption. And then the iPad would lose the connection uh, and I wouldn't be able to get it back. The only way to get it back would be to reset the router and lather, rinse, repeat. And so I find I did some things and, and uh, some research and turns out the only way to fix that is not to upgrade the iPad, but to downgrade the router, to, to back it off to just the WPA1 
uh, level encryption, which is still ridiculous. A- AES uh, 128, I think. It's still huge encryption, but you right. can't go all the way up to the like the new Blowfish algorithms and the more advanced stuff because the iPad just chokes on it. So, uh, you know, and, and it's not like this is a new encryption or, uh, algorithm. It's been around since the iPad 1. We're all the way up to iPad 3 now, and it's still a problem. And, uh, and some people seem to have it with uh, iPhones as well. Huh. Interesting. I haven't seen that, but uh, my router is just using the WPA. So, yeah. So there you go. Uh, right. Now on to the meat of the matter: Microsoft volume licensing, or the Faust's deal with the devil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, to start this off, Mark, and I think I mentioned it a few shows ago that I, we were kind of poking around with the whole volume licensing thing and maybe trying to restructure it. And since that time, I've I've gotten probably way more information than I ever wanted to know about this. Uh, and we're we're literally in the process of getting our server ready for this right now. So uh, we should be live with it tomorrow. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going the KMS route. So I'm going to, I guess I'll start off by apologizing. If you already have been down this road and, and you already know the horror, uh, I, I apologize. But uh, I figured, one, there's probably plenty of listeners out there that maybe haven't. Uh, maybe haven't had the need to, and uh, and two, I was hoping that maybe it would be somewhat interesting hearing it coming from a, a guy like me who's just really going through that and learning, um, and maybe there's some things that have changed since the last time you dealt with it. So, um, I'm going to start off just with uh, uh, there's just a describing. There's kind of two ways that you can do the volume licensing thing: is KMS, which is Key Management Service. Or MAK, which is a multiple activation key. Well, and, before you before you go into all that, uh, let's address the issue of why use volume licensing. Right. Um, yeah, and and I am kind of curious, Mark, about that. As far as uh, I know, when we went to Windows Seven, you went to that volume licensing, and I vaguely remember you explaining why. But uh, now that I've I've learned quite a bit more about it. I'd really like to know uh, what. Why did you stick me with this? No, uh, you got that backwards. It wasn't that we went with volume licensing when we moved to Windows Seven. It was the volume licensing that allowed us to move to Windows Seven. Almost every uh, large uh, network uh, does some sort of volume licensing, but I had resisted for a long time and used OEM licensing, which is the same that you would get when you buy a, a computer at home. So every machine that I purchased at the school, which is, you know, in the thousands over the years, I also bought a CD with it and I was required to keep the CDs on hand. And, and I, there are stacks of them, uh, in, in the storeroom there, uh, at the school. And the, the reason for that is when you do that, when you buy an OEM license, uh, for uh, a machine, you have that license for as long as that machine lives. And, you know, as we've talked about on this show many times, uh, that's a decade that I make machines last a long time. So uh, that $90 that I paid for the uh, education OEM version, uh, sometimes even a little less, would would break down to roughly $9 a year over 10 years uh, life of the machine. 
no volume licensing scheme ever came close to that, no matter what Microsoft said. And the, and the way that basically works is there there's several different versions. Um, the most common one at the time was called the school agreement, uh, which was you buy uh, a certain number of licenses, and you have to you had to agree to buy a certain number of licenses, and then every year you relicense those machines. So you're renting the Windows license for a year. So if I had uh, um, a thousand machines in my district. I couldn't do a volume license on the next 20 that I'm buying. I couldn't do that. I had to license a thousand machines. So 980 of those I had already paid for. And so I, I had never, I never, when you sit down and you actually do the math in your head for real uh, or even on paper, it's not possible to make that a cost effective decision. It's, it's the, the only use for it is to give Microsoft more money. Well, Two years ago or so, they changed the rules dramatically. Uh, now for uh, educational institutions, the licensing has nothing to do with the number of devices on your network. They don't care how many devices are on your network. You pay per employees. doesn't matter how many students you have. It's per employee. So uh, that's a perfect scenario for a small school with big tech, like, like we were there. We had 100 employees uh, between six and 700 students and over a thousand computers. So for a flat license fee, which worked out for us to be about $2,000 a year, I had access to all core, uh, Microsoft operating systems on all desktops in perpetuity. So when you do that math, it still doesn't really add up unless you're upgrading. So we moved our entire fleet or all of them that could do it, from Windows XP to Windows 7, because it was time. Windows XP is old, and, uh, and it was just time to do it. So um, it was the right time to do it, and it was the only way we were going to be able to pay for that. So for 2000 bucks a year, so over, you know, uh, over the course of 10 years, that's $20,000. Um, after about year six or seven, you start losing money on the deal, uh, uh, quite frankly. But it was we were never going to be able to upgrade at paying for uh, if we were paying for the license it was never going to happen uh, but the, the same thing uh, uh, applies for offices that's a different amount of money and for server that's a different amount of money but they don't ask how many machines you have they don't care it's just how many employees and so every year when it comes time to renew you just send them a statement that says we have this many employees and that's it they send you your bill based on that so it's really the first time microsoft has had a deal that was worth taking uh, and also uh, incumbent with that is everybody who is associated with your school gets a copy of the OS, which means all of the staff on their personal computers and all the students on their personal computers. This is totally legal. It's within the doc. I, I, had, I went over this thing a thousand different ways. So you can give Windows 7 or Windows 8 now uh, or whatever to, to anybody, to your staff and to your students for their home computers perfectly legally as long as you're within uh, the terms of your agreement, which is just phenomenal, uh, regardless of how many numbers. So uh, if your student at home has five computers in his household, perfectly okay. Give him five licenses, let him do it. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's finally financially feasible. And, and of course, Microsoft is just trying to get their hooks in you and trying to get more people on Windows. And, and I'm totally okay with that. So that's the reason I went with it. But here's the catch. Because they're not asking how many machines you have, their formulas uh, are 
skewed toward um, large numbers of people and small numbers of computers. So they sent you a number of licenses uh, to activate X number of machines based on how many people you told him you have. And once you exceed that, you start running into troubles. And those are the troubles that Sean is going to talk about that. Yeah, well, and uh, I also found out a little bit more. So uh, the route that, that uh, Mark took originally when getting that volume licensing was uh, uh, to use what's called the MAK, the MAK keys, the multiple activation keys. And this is basically just, uh, it, it's a key that you can put on, again, like Mark described, all of your computers, but it works very similar to the old OEM license. Uh, you put a key in there and you're licensed, it checks with Microsoft, activates, you're good to go. And uh, so long as you don't do anything to that computer, uh, it, it's good to go for for years uh, perpetually. <clears throat> but uh, the the problem is that we we now live in an environment where we're uh, you know constantly re-imaging computers, and uh, we love our fog. And uh, so the multiple activation key will only uh, it's basically like a pool. It it has a certain number that Microsoft assigns that that can activate on that key. And once you've reached that number. Uh, it, you know, let's say you have 600 and you've reached 600. Well, the next time you go to image a lab of 25 computers, uh, those 25 computers will not activate and you'll get all the little messages about, you know, not having uh, genuine Microsoft software and all that kind of stuff. And uh, while that doesn't stop you from using the computer, it's, it's kind of annoying and, you know, you can't customize your background anymore and stuff like that. So um, in, the, in, in our environment, that becomes quite a nuisance. So, uh, w when that situation happens, what you have to do is you have to contact Microsoft. And Mark, I understand when you would would run into that, you would actually just call them. Is that right? Uh, well, no. There's an email address that you can send to, and it's an all it's fully automated. You send a request to an email address. They add it to it. And the way I did it, uh, not not appropriate, I'm sure, but just every week. I would send them an email asking for more licenses. I would just keep doing it. It was no big deal off of me. I just kept resending the same email, and and they would send me new licenses until eventually I had enough to get through the year. Okay, okay. So, um, okay, so you were, yeah, you were actually kind of uh, backlogging them, so to speak, or, or sort of. Uh, well, I was gaming the system. If they're going to make it automated, I'm going to take advantage of the automation. Because, uh, you know, I'm not doing anything illegal. They said any machines I want. So I, I would just click that button over and over until I stopped seeing messages that said things need to to uh, uh, register. And then, you know, six, eight, nine months later, I'd start seeing those. I'd send the email a week for a couple of months and I'd stop seeing it. So it's a low tech solution, but it fixed the problem. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got the list in the show notes, but you can find this on Microsoft if you're, if you're really interested in going through this. You know, they ask, you know, basics, your organization name and address and, you know, who's in charge of the licensing for your organization, things like that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, reasons why you're requesting more, things, things of that nature. And uh, the example that even Microsoft gives is example, reinstallation of Vista. <laughs> which I guess the Vista is when they actually made this change to this new system. But uh, so, I mean, yeah, you're right, Mark. I mean, that says it right there, right? I mean, if you're re-imaging a computer, then you're doing exactly what even Microsoft shows in their documentation. Right. 
Yeah, and it's their fault for building something so dumb that it can't handle a re-image. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the basics of just you know that uh, the MAK uh, keys. And uh, as uh, as I was researching this, uh, because I didn't even know, like, there's another way to go. So when I was researching, you know, exactly what I had to do, uh, then. Uh, and it was in a forum, but basically the forum said, well, why don't you go, why aren't you going with key, the key management service, the KMS server? So then I had to start doing some homework with that. And actually when we talked to, uh, I talked to my, uh, I go through a wholesaler essentially or a third party for my Microsoft licensing. But when I did talk to them, that was, that was their input as well as why aren't you doing KMS? Oh yeah. They had been pushing me for that too. By the way, it's not, I was ignorant of it. I just figured emails is a lot easier. Well, and this just made the situation even more confusing for me, quite honestly, because uh, KMS is a key management service. And basically, this is just something that you would you would have running on a Windows server. I think it has to be uh, 2003 R2 or later. Um, and you, uh, you basically, if you have the volume licensing, you have the volume licensing service center like a dashboard that you can go to to, to get all your license keys and things and uh, or any software downloads that you need to get and right in there um, you have if you have the volume license then you also have a KMS key so you can just go there um, or actually I have to take that back it wasn't automatically there I did have to contact uh, my licensing rep and ask for one uh, which seemed retarded to me Mark I mean because I called I asked for one they gave me one just by virtue of having the volume license. So why not just have it in there? Yeah. Because, you know, you might not use it and they don't want extra imaginary numbers laying around. I guess that's, yeah. So, so that was frustrating because that already, you know, uh, especially when you're going through, uh, which I, I don't know, does anybody uh, deal with Microsoft Direct? I mean, it's my understanding that it's pretty normal. You have to deal with the third party. That to get your licensing. Uh, so that's a frustrating process already because something as simple as that call, hey, I want a KMS key. Okay, here you go. Well, that takes a couple of days because you're dealing with somebody who's then turn, in turn dealing with Microsoft and then it's the telephone game back. So, uh, so that was frustrating. But um, in researching this, and this didn't impact me, but uh, as far as KMS keys go, you can only have six uh, KMS hosts on one key, so that you give you the, they give you that key, and if you're a larger district or you're a larger entity with uh, you know far flung offices or something like that, um, you can run uh, six of those. But let's say if you have ten campuses, then you need to contact Microsoft, and I'm sure go through the rigmarole again to get a KMS exception. And uh, from everything I've seen, it's like ju it's just the same as the MAKs, you know. Uh, you call, you ask, you give a valid reason, and they're like, oh, okay, and they give it to you. So, uh, and there's the whole laundry list of things that they ask you, uh, you know, in making that request. So, uh, then further in researching this, I found that it's not a one or, or the other. You can actually run both. And that sounded really interesting to me and what Microsoft was uh, suggesting, or I should say my Microsoft uh, licensing rep or whatever, license genius or whatever they <laughs> want to call it. Uh, <laughs> uh, he said, well, you know, what most people will do 
and I'm wondering if this is truly most people, but he says, you know, you use KMS for your static insta installations. So your computers that are going to stay on your network, desktops, uh, things of that nature. And then you use your MAKs for your mobile devices, things like laptops and stuff like that. Um, because with, and I believe it's with both of these key types. Uh, no, I take that back. The MAKs uh, don't expire. Uh, KMS keys kind of expire or they have to check in every 90 days. So if you don't have a, if they're not connected to a network with that KMS server with the corresponding key, then you'll start getting the activation errors again. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was something, uh, you know, to keep in mind, but then I got to thinking about it and I'm like, you know, if KMS is only good for 90, you know, it's good for 90 days, um, you know, and they're sort of reactivating. If I have locked down computers at some point when that 90 day point goes, am I going to have to unlock these computers, let them reactivate with that KMS server and then lock them back down? Uh, I don't think so. I think that'll be fully automated. It'll just come up and basically it'll be instead of every 90 days at that point, it'll be every time the machine reboots, it'll be re-authenticate because it'll come up and it'll say, oh, you're past your 90 days, re-authenticate. It does. And then you're good for that session. You shut down. It comes back up and says, oh, you're past your 90 days. Reauthenticate. It does. You're good for that session. So it's just going to create some network chatter, but nothing other than that that I could see. Well, and everything I, I, you know, I did homework on, on just one, what kind of server resources this is going to use, and it's very minimal, um, which kind of makes sense because of the type of traffic that it's sending. And uh, same thing on the network is that it, it should see really no network impact. So um, I haven't seen or heard anything uh, counter to that. So not too worried about it. Uh, so it, it's well, just... Sean, all the machines you have right now, are re-authenticating every time they log in now. Uh, all your MAK devices, they're doing it over the internet even uh, because of the nature of the way things are locked down. Uh, that's that's the way those MAK devices do. They they check in periodically. Uh, and so, yeah, that you're it's happening already on your network. You're just not aware of it because it's well, negligible. Right, but if they are, it's not working. I should just well, that's say because that. the pool is empty. You, they have to add to the pool. If you send five or six of those emails saying "add me some more," once the pool fills up, then they'll be okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you, like you said, then the the chatter is really going to be unchanged. Exactly. As back, I guess maybe it might be less because it's only going to be internal. Right. It won't point. be over over the internet anymore. But you're talking kilobytes, not megabytes. Right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so, you know, then I get to that point, I'm like, okay, that sounds good. That was kind of the one question I had for you is, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be in a, in a situation where, um, and when I talk about locking down computers, we, we use a, a product similar to deep freeze called smart shield. And, uh, so, you know, I was worried that if I had them locked down and then that 90 days went that somehow or another, we were going to be forced to unlock them all, let them authenticate and lock them back down. And in that case, it was going to be more work than the, the other way, you know, I'll send some emails. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then finally, when I think, okay, I'm almost home, this sounds like the way to go. 
then in pops the volume activation management tool. And so <laughs> now I'm hearing from people that, well, that's the way to go. You use the volume, you know, the VAMT. And I've, I've read over this, uh, this VAMT, uh, quite a bit. And, you know, the big thing that really struck me, Mark, in reading over that is that basically it keeps these activations in sort of an XML database. Right. And, uh, and, and so, basically, you can use this database to refresh licensing on all of these machines. Um, so, it works uh, similar to the KMS, or it works in, junk, in conjunction with KMS, I guess. Um, but then it gives you some other kind of neat things where it can monitor your licenses and tell you, like, how many MAK licenses you have left. So, you you basically can see that problem coming. You know, you start seeing when you're, you're getting short and then you can send the email preemptively. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, I'm just wondering, is this tool, I don't want to say above my head, but, I mean, come on, I've got a, a small network and, you know, a thousand computers. Do I really need to, you know, break out the big guns? Because that's what this yeah, seems that, like. That's for stats junkies. Uh, I, I would say it's not necessarily above your head or, or not necessary. It's, you've got better things to do with your time than set up yet another system when all you have to do is send an email every now and then. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I'm going through. I don't, we may, we, we probably will set up a KMS server just to, uh, probably just to do it and learn a little bit more about the process. So um, I don't anticipate any real big ahas i may report back a little bit i don't i don't think we'll have a whole show about it in the future but uh you know just to relay you know what i've learned uh from now until then so uh so that's it yeah and and you know if you don't know about this and you're a, a u.s based educational institution you really should look into it because it gives you um access to um, the latest and greatest for a, a small recurring fee, uh, relatively small. Um, but you know, as I mentioned, it is a, it is sort of a Faustian thing. It's a deal with the devil. You you have made the choice to do that forever. You you are now in the pocket of Microsoft, and the only way to get out of it is to remove those off of computers and go buy licenses for everything because it's considered an upgrade. You have to you have to already have a license on something before you can use the uh, act, the multi-activation license. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, I have all those CDs. Well, those are now wrapped up in the, the volume license that I have. So if I decide to go back to the regular license, I can't go reinstall those. Those are, those are sort of used up, legally speaking. So once you make that deal, you're, you're locked in. The only other choice is to start buying computers the same way you did initially, buying them 20, 30, or 100 at a time with the OEM licenses until eventually you work through your fleet. Um, but since the numbers are based on staff and not based on computers, you have to wait until you're 100% no longer on it before you can stop paying that annual fee. So you need to understand what you're going into. Uh, over the course of a decade, Microsoft makes money on this deal. That's why they do it. They're a long-term company looking long-term. Short-term, you're looking at it thinking, hey, this is a big cost savings. And it can be. But understand the deal that you're getting into. This is essentially leasing an operating system or an office suite if you buy that package. Uh, so, you know, just know what it is. 
sometimes it's you know it's the the lesser of two evils but make no mistake it is somewhat evil yeah and and i I think you made a good point at the at the top of the show mark is you know we couldn't basically we're in a position we couldn't afford to get away from xp right and to upgrade would have taken us several years to to accomplish and then you don't want the hassle of of managing a multi-environment system that's that's a nightmare that it's worth a couple thousand dollars a year to avoid yeah yeah i agree i agree all right well um i i do want to jump in here mark because we had some good chatter in the in the chat room tonight and i'm not going to go over it but uh we had some guys that uh, certainly know more about this than i do uh so if you're not listening live and joining us in the chat room then you're missing out on great conversations like that and want to say thank you to oki jason who seemed to uh have quite a bit to say about uh, how all of that uh, licensing and, and math, uh, how they calculated up licenses and things like that. So uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, and something they brought up that I that we didn't mention, so I'll go ahead and mention it, is in your calculations about staff, if the staff don't use computers, they don't count. So your bus drivers, your maintenance men, the lunch lady, you, lunch you only count people who use computers. So your administrative staff in your teachers essentially uh so when you're doing that that thing if you're if you're a large district and you've got you know uh 500 uh strong staff of of automotive technicians who keep your fleet of buses running um if they are not using a computer on a regular basis as a part of their job you don't have to pay for them to have the license you don't have to include them in the license and Microsoft will send you essentially it's a questionnaire that says how many of this type of employee do you have how many of this type of employee do you have and that will assist you in making that call right yeah very good point to get out there because uh, yeah you could be and somebody in the chat room I won't mention any names said that they're basically uh, they're spending more on it than they they needed to because they didn't understand that and a question in the chat room, do you get the next upgrade when it's uh, available? The license is, if you buy the OS license, uh, the license is for all Microsoft OSs on the desktop. Uh, it's a software assurance. Right. So you, you have every version of Windows that has ever been created or ever will be created in the desktop license. If you buy the server version, you get every server version. So if you want, you can go all the way back and put Windows 3.1 on something, and you're licensed for it. Uh, you got to buy the media if you can find somebody to send you a floppy disk. Um, uh, if you buy the desktop version, then you get Office, um, and it's it's a whole suite. It's just not Microsoft Office. It's other stuff. I think it includes uh, their uh, enterprise antivirus, and, and there's several different packages. You you know you one from column A and two from column B, uh, but whatever you get, you that uh, enables you to use the latest and greatest of everything they've got. So when Windows uh, eight hits the market uh for general availability you go have at it you don't have to ask permission it'll be there in your account already just go absolutely and gadner has uh windows 3.11 if anyone needs it i've got a copy of 3.0 i can go even farther back than that (laughs) it is literally two five and a quarter inch floppies wow yeah, that doesn't surprise me a bit, Mark. <laughs> that really doesn't. 
Uh, okay. Well, uh, it, Mark, I, I've got a, a pretty nifty tip of the week this week. And uh, I don't know if you use these. I don't really recall you ever using one, but maybe you do. Uh, a clipboard manager. Do you I, use one? Only, uh, no, I have. I had in the past used them, uh, but there are times when I really wish I could. When I want to copy and paste five different things alternately, you know, and end right. up using Notepad. So I'll copy it into the Notepad, paste it into one line, and then paste it to another line and go back and forth. And then I think, man, I need to get one of these. And then it doesn't happen again for a long time, and I don't. Yeah. Well, uh, I've I've had sort of a different experience in that I've downloaded several over the years, and none of them are really that as convenient as they are supposed to be. Right. You know. Uh, so they're not as intuitive, you know, you, it, it just, they feel maybe a little clunky or maybe not quite where you would want them to be or to function the way you want. Uh, so it's, it's been a little frustrating, uh, because every time I download one, I try to use it for a little while and then it seems so clunky. I stop using it. Uh, but this one, uh, and it's called Shapeshifter, uh, is far and away my this thing is so intuitive and I, I can't really describe I would do a horrible you have to see it in action I'd do a horrible job of describing it just take my word for it it's the best clipboard manager I have ever used and uh, we'll have a copy of a link to this in the show notes or you could probably just google shapeshifter and uh, let me, uh, I see you're on the link mark but uh, it's at flame fusion dot net uh, you go there and you can find this it's the only uh, piece of software they have um, they have a video on this uh, Techzilla also did a, probably a better video just showcasing what it does uh, go there watch the video if you've ever if you use clipboard managers and uh, maybe like me you've craved one that actually worked decently uh, go check it out it's it's worth the download it takes like a heartbeat to install and uh, it, it's a great piece of software so uh, and it's pretty so if you're an eye guy and you like pretty it fits yeah. And not only that, uh, and I haven't verified this for myself because I'm not on Windows 8, but they are, they're touting it as being not only Windows 7, but Windows 8 ready. So uh, it, it works on uh, both those platforms as well as like back to XP and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, check it out. It's a great one. Cool. And uh, my tip of the week is Shapeshifter. It's a new uh, clipboard <laughs> management tool uh, that I just heard about. <laughs> I thought we were just doing one now. Yeah, and yeah. I think what last week, I don't even think we did that, did we? No, we're, we're doing it whenever we think about it is what the way that's working. Right, right. You know, we're not just going to go find something just to find something. Well, maybe we will. We <laughs> Sometimes we do that. We have to really go and search. But uh, We're too but, tired and jaded. We used to do that. Now, 108 episodes in, no, nah, not so much anymore. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, you got anything else, Mark? Well, just uh, to uh, encourage you to go over to elementop.com and leave your feedback. If you have a different take on what we said tonight about um, Microsoft licensing, uh, let it be known. You can do that by via 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 by way of the uh, uh, contact us. Uh, button at the top of the page or you can leave us a voicemail using the uh, leave us a voicemail widget appropriately named on the website or you can tweet us or you can email us 
it's all there. Elementop.com. Go there uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, we could use a little traffic in the forums. That would be awesome. Uh, we have a, a vast community out there. Lots of people download this show every week, but you tend to be a silent bunch. Uh, and we would appreciate uh, letting you know, uh, letting, you letting us know um, how we're doing. And, and just a personal word of thanks to uh, those who have recently made um, financial contributions to the site. Uh, I, I, I hope I sent you all a personal email. I try to do that. I hope I didn't look overlook anybody. If I did, let me know, and I will send you an apology and a thank you. Uh, but uh, I just consider this your thanks. I appreciate anybody who did that, you know, whether it was a buck or a hundred bucks. Um, we appreciate anything you give, and it does. It all goes right back into uh, paying for hosting and new equipment and things like that. Uh, we're, you know, we're certainly not pocketing anything uh, out of this, but we do appreciate that's uh, it's a vote of confidence that that doesn't go unnoticed. So that was a, a 1998 BMW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well mark uh this was another great show all righty well having had the pronouncement that is it is a great show there's nothing more we can do because we might mess it up so i will simply say uh, this is mark signing off and sean signing off (laughs) 